Parenting Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard. With me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Authenticity is a value held in high regard. If we call a person a poser or an item a ripoff, those pejorative terms indicate that the subject in question is attempting to mimic something authentic and failing. But what if the mimicry succeeds? What if an art forger is able to trick professional critics? Is he still being authentic by copying another artist's style, even if he has mastered the technique? What if the style is his passion and he obtains true joy from recreating another artist's painting? What if he copies a famous picture in a completely different style? As with most concepts, authenticity gets messy quickly when put under the philosophical microscope. So, in the intro there, we... uh, I, I gave a couple scenarios, and these aren't just abstract things. Um, we definitely have records of all three of those things happening, um, as well as, you know, being an artist of some type myself. Um, it pops up occasionally. Like the most recent um, song that I just released was a cover of Bob Denver's Sunshine on My Shoulders, right? So it's not in the same style Bob Denver did it. Um, but, you know, it's obviously the words are the same. The, the chords are roughly the same. You know, I've added some major sevens where a normal major would be, or I've added uh, a ukulele where an acoustic guitar would be, those sorts of things. Um, but at the core, it's Bob Denver's song, right? <laughs> so that sort of thing generally isn't frowned upon, right? You don't frown on artists for making covers of no. other people's songs. No. But is that an inauthentic thing to do? You know, what, where do, let's, so let's start with that. How do we define authenticity? Where do we, where do we start? One of the definitions that I, that I like uh, is, it speaks to actions, but I, but but art is an action to making the making of art is that it's, it's a, it's a congruence or consistency between your beliefs and your spirit and what you actually do rather than a conformity. So go, if we went with that for just a minute, then you might be uh, congruent in repainting or painting a copy of the Mona Lisa because it's something that you want to do and something you feel to do. But if you're, but if you're trying to, do it as an exact copy then there's that element of oh but you've established a conformity you've conformed to what was without bringing anything fresh to it yourself if you've if you've managed to meet that right that goal whereas a cover and this is why i think it's very different and and forgive me for saying John Denver, not Bob. <laughs> Bob Denver was Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. But, that's, <laughs> but, but nobody's going to worry about it if they're both gone. Anyway, uh, John Denver did Sunshine on My Shoulders. Okay. And he did it a number of ways across albums. I, mean, I used to geek out and collect all those and listen to them and play the music myself. I was in a band and we did that back in high school. But 
as you do that, you add your own stylings, you, you change the, the timing a bit, the dynamics a bit. But in your case, you went way beyond that. Uh, and having had the joy of listening to it, it it's, uh, it's the same song, but it's not. Uh, there's an authenticity in re-rendering something freshly, not copying it, but but bringing fresh things to it, I think. Gotcha. Okay. And so here's where, like, authenticity gets a little bit confusing to me. And, and you know, in preparing for the episode, looking at um, Kierkegaard and um, Nietzsche, and this is the one I was thinking of in our other episode, um, Sartre. How do you say it? John Sartre. Sartre. Jean Sartre. Yeah. John Paul Sartre. One of those names that I've read a million times and never well, heard. Well, sure. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so reading these guys, um, it seems like they don't completely have nailed down what antith- what autif- authenticity is. Mm-hmm. And to me, what I think the problem is is that there doesn't seem to be a single source of it. And Sartre, um, sort of sort of got on this right he doesn't he doesn't define authenticity so much as define what inauthenticity is and yes. kind of you know work around it because mm-hmm. here all right so here's our scenario right we say um you know to be authentic you can um reinterpret something and that's authentic but to copy something isn't yes um but what if somebody what if a, a work of art made by somebody else, speaks to somebody so much that copying that work of art gives them genuine joy and fulfillment okay. and meaning. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. like I said in the intro, right? So in that sense, the person is kind of being authentic to themselves. So it seems like there's different sources of authenticity. So somebody could be authentic to themselves, but to maybe society or... Yeah. Um, is there different sources of authenticity um, within the same scenario? Yes, yes, I think I think so, and I think you're right to bring that up, Sarge. Uh, among other things, he was saying that authenticity means an abandonment of our original choice to coincide with ourselves consciously, and therefore free ourselves from identification with our egos. And we don't do that perfectly. And as you said, it was all muddy and mess. And it, you, you don't, but because how do you utterly abandon your ego? We're human. We can't. So it's it's a, a work in progress, as they like to say. There is always an art. I think practicing it myself. There's an element of ego. Because you are, after all, as my art teacher said, allowed to enjoy something that you that you have made. You are if if you can't look at it and say, "I want to I want to look at this. It's speaking to me." Then then it might not have that authenticity. I, I think that there is a spark of life, just like there's uh, there isn't any mythical story that 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 brings that thing up out of the combination of materials and makes it more than what it's what it is but there's definitely ego in copying something and and i'm not saying there's not artistry in it. Gee, if, I, I certainly couldn't do if you can take a rembrandt and you can fool somebody by doing that 
I think that is a mastery of many levels of the artistry, the, the materials, the, the values, the, the strokes, uh, and so on. But I don't think it is unique. And I think that's partly what Sartre and Kierkegaard were talking about, that it involves finding your own path counter to uh, perhaps adhering to standards and social norms that are just there. And so, of course, you're supposed to. Right. So, yeah, I guess in that regard, there has to be some sort of initial vision. So if you're copying somebody else's initial vision, um, yeah. As a starting point, it really doesn't matter what you do from that point, right? I think it's a, yeah, I think it's an exercise. It's certainly mm. a worthy exercise. Copy you know, imitating masters in any field of uh, the arts, any field, whatever, is a way of learning, of coming to understand what they do, to study, to to practice what they've done. But then what is one going to do with one's, as you say, vision? I think that's very important. You had a vision for that, that song. Uh, you, you've described the process to me, and, and, you, and you opened it up to collaborators who you essentially let, let go of their own ways, and then you pulled it together. So that was unavoidably going to be a new creation of the, from the original. Uh, you know, okay, I'm going to geek out again. So I, I, I last last weekend I enjoyed Justice League, the Snyder Cut, and I believe it's the first time in cinematic history where the same film has been released that's not the same film. It's it's not like redoing a, a story like an Alfred Hitchcock story and redoing it 40 years later. It's same director, except that he had to stop because of his daughter's uh, Snyder, uh, his daughter's suicide, and then Joss Whedon took over, okay, and changed it a lot. That was a two-hour film. This is a four-hour film. The sequence of events are different. Some scenes have been left out. Others have been added. There's a, a, at least one or two characters added. The soundtrack is completely different and better. I, I like the composer very much. Uh, I liked the composer of the other one, but it didn't fit. It said, so, so these two films exist in parallel. They're both this title. <laughs> of, but they are copies of each other. They're, they're, the director's going with his own vision. And it's a different vision now because of what he went through than it would have been before. Yeah, and it gets really complicated as you start to pick things apart, right? Because, um, you know, I was reading about, um, you know, I was looking at the, the Wikipedia article on authenticity. And they were saying, like, yeah, you know, in, in music culture, it's important, uh, like, you know, especially in punk rock or metal or something that, uh, you know, to be authentic to the music. And if you see somebody who has uh, spiky hair, or wears leather and chains, but they don't play music or something, then, like, they're disparaged or whatever. But when you start looking at what the sources of authenticity, right? Okay. Well, in that scenario, perhaps it's the music, but what if the people who are dressing this certain way, what if to them, the authenticity of it is the actual aesthetic of looking a certain way rather than the music. 
or going farther, let's say painting, right? Yeah. So you're painting um, and you paint something that's brand new. Okay, well, maybe that's authentic. But what if you're using the same style as somebody else? Well, then is it authentic? What if you're using the same, um, the exact same color paints? What if you're using the same brushes? What if you're, you know, using a canvas or a brush? So at some point, the, everything sort of comes back to being derivative at some point, right? If I play a song and I use a guitar, I'm using an instrument that was developed by somebody else and has been used on thousands of songs by somebody else, using chords and scales mm-hmm. that are, were developed in the course of Western music. And especially music is a good example because it's very constricting. People don't realize that you have seven notes in a scale. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you can do. You've got 26 letters in the alphabet. Right. You can't do <laughs> something, you know, <laughs> in, incredibly brand new. So where do we draw that line on authenticity? You know, we've talked about that initial, the initial vision, right? The initial yeah. creativity. But in our, if I go, if we go back to that first example, I give this, this punk rock person, right? Who doesn't play any music, but. They don't play music, but they have spiky hair and they like wearing their, their leather and stuff. Maybe that, that's their initial vision. They want to have this look, but they don't belong to the music subculture. Right, right. So, so where, where do we say they're, when, are they, when do they become a poser as opposed to um, being authentic to a different subculture? If, if they're, they're a poser, if they're trying to look like everybody else. I, I think that's, that's where I would draw you know we 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 all <laughs> i think we all have moments of being posers frankly i've i've been to uh cosplay you know toronto is this huge thing i used to go up uh gone a number of times and how many different ways can people dress as thor or captain america or the the, the, of the scarlet witch or whomever and you recognize who you're seeing but the difference is if somebody's added something to the costume, a little flourish that wasn't there, or they, there are people who try to get the exact details, the exacting details into the costume. Uh, I remember a Mandalorian costume, actually. I uh, didn't really know what it was at the time because I was pre all of the show. But, uh, but I heard people saying, or, or stormtroopers, there's a group of people who the 400 or something i don't know what they call it but they they go on all these conventions and they're wearing this incredible armor that they have crafted themselves and so it's perfect the the discussion is always how close to absolutely the same is it and so there's kind of an exacting detail can we get as close as possible to the original and that's a point of pride and that's a point of craftsmanship and I'm not deriding any of those things, but it's, <clears throat> I don't think it's a point of, of artistic authenticity. It's authenticity to their honoring of the original, whatever it is that they're copying. But I think the people who don't try to look exactly the same, add their own flourishes, make up more of a backstory and explain why this looks this way. Because, and I'm using a goofy example, but I think that's where the authenticity is. You, you, you said the word derivative, and I would like to substitute the word foundational. There are only so many notes. That's foundational. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of instruments. 
which have their roots in their, their very ancient roots and their people inventing new instruments of combinations. What you do with those notes or those instruments is what's authentic. Right. And, you know, there's been, uh, there's been a lot of debate about that in music, modern music over the past few years mm-hmm. where, um, what they're saying is, um, you could, pretty much sue almost any musician for copyright infringement because any melody that you use um, has been used before. And so some guys went out and developed in a, uh, an AI that created every imaginable um, uh, melody, you know, they, every possible combination of notes and they patented them all in the hopes that, um, you know, and then release them as an open source. So in the hopes that that wouldn't be a thing that would be possible, anymore. <laughs> you know, people can just create music because what, you know, their argument was a melody is a very small part of a musical piece. Two songs could have the same melody, um, but the chord structures, you know, underlying the melody or the other harmonic or percussive elements of a song, the words being sung, all these different things make it a different song. So like you were saying, there's foundational elements. Um, both in the music itself and in you know the types of instruments that are used and even the language that we use in writing songs but at some point if you're not putting out the exact an exact copy if you're changing something then there's a creative element there is and and then it becomes intention Let's say we're going to uh, copy a panel uh, drawing uh, in a comic book, or you were going to, I mean, how many of us as kids did that because we wanted to see how close we could come? Uh, Or you're copying Rembrandt or whatever it may be. Um, That, and you talked about one of the articles, that's that's referred to as nominal authenticity in the sense that you're, or the Stormtrooper outfit, you're, you're trying to get to the, the original essence of the piece. But the intentionality is really important. Like if you, if you did uh, Denver's song, and the only thing you did was put a, a discordant uh, measure in, and maybe you wiggle the keys a little bit, and, and the rest of it's exactly the same. And you put that in, and somebody says, why is it there? And you say, I wanted it to suggest sunlight rippling on water. You sort of just toss that in and claiming that the rest of it is your, your conception, which it really isn't, I think. Or you, you, you do the same thing with a painting, a famous uh, painting or a sculpture or something. Let's say you do the, 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 the sculpture, the David, the Michelangelo, and you, and you, but you give him four fingers instead of five. Why? Well, just because I wanted to. I don't think there's an authenticity in that because there's not a coherence of, as you say, vision. There's not a coherence of structure. What is it you're trying to do is always the question with authenticity, I think. And so the, the philosophers that I mentioned earlier, uh, Sartre, Kierkegaard, and, and Nietzsche, they really talked about a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
are there any relevant points that they brought up that you think are pertinent to the discussion we've had so far? I, I do from different from from different angles, and one always has to say whenever we talk about Nietzsche that we're not again reminding people he didn't launch Nazism. He wasn't about that, but I it, he gets so clouded in all of that. Um, just taking his work as it was, when he talked about the Superman, he said some things that were pretty difficult and pretty um, problematic in, in the way that we tend to look at the world currently. Nonetheless, the, the, the essence of it was that you have to be what you are, even if that means you're going to tread on the, the toes and more of others. That if you don't pursue the best in yourself, I'm grossly paraphrasing, then you are not going to achieve that status. And then for Nietzsche, everybody isn't equal. Uh, and and I think that that's important that we look at all sides of that, and that's a different conversation. But the 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 essence of it is that one must. Uh, have the courage to recognize that which is within oneself and to follow that to its best intent. Uh, Sartre, I think, was aligning authenticity, authenticity more, finding authenticity in coming to terms with the fact that the universe doesn't care about us from, from the viewpoint of his existentialist. Um, view. So the authenticity would be to realize the truth of one's situation and then come to terms with oneself and say, so what is it I'm going to do because it doesn't matter anyway? Well, except that it does because it matters because I'm the human being and nothing else is going to be necessarily acknowledging this. So there's both of, in both of those, there's a, there's an, a, a, almost a demand a requirement that one come to terms with oneself. And then the suggestion that if you come to terms with yourself and your surroundings, that your actions might be more intentional and that the intentionality itself is the authenticity. Yeah, I, when I was reading, there was a thing that Nietzsche said that, that sort of hit home to me, which was, you know, he was talking about authenticity and he said that you know, living authentically, a person is elevating themselves above the mass culture in order to transcend the yes. limits of their conventional morality. Yes. Uh, thereby kind of determining for themselves what's, you know, good and evil, but without, you know, the pre defer, you know, pre, you know, confirmed conformity. On the account of which we hold our grandfathers in esteem, right? Mm-hmm. And to think about that being spoken, you know, so long before. Um, our current, you know, context in America, right? Yeah, because that's a a battle that we're waging right now in society, right? Is uh, looking at the founding fathers, you know, or American history, and saying, you know, on the one hand, it's almost part of American culture to just hold as unshakably. um, It's become a religion. Right, right. And so... With unquestionable tenets. Yeah, yeah. And so, 
in Nietzsche's viewpoint, if he were here today looking at this debate about the, you know, the founding fathers and whether or not, you know, what they were doing was, um, was racist or, you know, yeah, discriminatory, yeah, yeah. those sorts of things, he would absolutely be on one side of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I think we can recognize it in our, uh, <clears throat> here's the, the self-recognition. Uh, we'll move away from art for a minute and go with the topic that you're, uh, I'm reading a book of, called the, the 400 souls and and it's a, it's a book of about black history it's written by 80 different authors each one contributes a few essays uh, and it goes from the 400 years and it goes across 400 years of and every single mini essay i'm my head is exploding the things that i never knew and then you begin to wrestle with, and what am I to do with this? How does this cause me to rethink things? I think that's the authentic process that the philosophers require of us. Why am I picking up this paint? What am, what am I wanting to do with this keyboard? Maybe I don't know exactly, but I, uh, something's driving me to make something. Or, or something is causing, giving me the cause to rethink. If I choose not to rethink, then I'm I'm not being authentic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what Kierkegaard got at, and you know he was he was a religious philosopher. Yes, but you know he's he said things like um, you know it's dangerous to be a, a preacher because when you're up there, what's demanded of you from a religion is that you are yourself in front of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, that's the sort of thing where what he led into that, the conclusions of that led him to was that it's important to look at religion and kind of question religion um, based off of how you, the way you authentically interpret it. And he said a lot of things in, in regards to conformity being um, assuming the, the thoughts and attitudes of society through um, typical religious teachings or, you know, n- news um, news uh, reports and these yes. sorts of things. Any sort of outside influence um, that you're just sort of taking at face value uh, adds to an in- inauthentic nature in you yes. to an extent. Yeah, yeah. So... So that's kind of where the uh, the founding philosophers on authenticity were coming from. Um, so with that in mind, do you think a human can be authentic if humans are in, in an ever-changing state? Wow, that's an interesting question. Yes. Because authenticity itself suggests it's 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 almost paradoxical it suggests that one needs to be aware of one's own intentionality to, to be essentially revisiting and rethinking what it is that one believes and how one does things or why one is doing things so there's an active element and active element suggests process and processes change the the foundational element is if, if one could reduce it to this, and I'm not sure one can, but it would be to 
the uh, Socrates, uh, Socratic. And so let's uh, to question. I'm going to make something. I'm not going to, it's not going to be all logical, but I want to take that Eliezerin, I want to take that failing uh, uh, blue, I want, to, I want to take that that green, and I just need to swirl them. Okay, so I've done that. Why? Because I felt the need to. Why? Because I was curious of what they would do. Why? Because is it saying something beyond itself, or was it just an, uh, an exercise? If it's saying something beyond itself, what am I called to do next in order to make it say it better? And if I encounter uh, every single day the same way I encountered every single other day, which was, which is, if we all just walked our way through the day, mostly asleep, so to speak, we wouldn't see fresh things. You know, we, we, we might not notice the pheasant at the bird feeder. I say this because I have one now. It's amazing. I, I, I've, I've, I love these birds. They've been out in my field forever, but I've, it's the first time I've seen a pheasant come to a bird feeder. Now, other people may have seen that. My response to that pheasant uh, is multitudes, depending on, uh, on the day. Sometimes I'm admiring the, the coat, the, the feathers. Uh, sometimes I'm wondering if, hoping that uh, she will bring, she's getting very large, I think she's going to have a clutch. She's going to have, uh, hoping that maybe the little ones will, will they come to the bird feeder? Um, should I or should I not provide the grain? I, I do provide corn and, and because she continues to come. But sometimes it feels poetic. Sometimes I worry of, about it. There's always, it's, I don't think the same things looking at the same thing because the same thing I'm looking at is not exactly the same thing either. And now we're back to the ship of Theseus and now we're back to putting your foot in the same river. I think an authenticity is realizing that nothing is ever the same at any given moment. That's real interesting, right? Because that, that really makes that question very pertinent. Um, so can a human ever be authentic if we're ever changing? Um, and I, I think you're right. I think it is sort of a, a ship of Theseus question. Um, aren't we complicated? Yeah. Are, aren't we complicated? Can I have five different reactions to the same person almost at the same time? I think so. Do I, do I need to compartmentalize them? Am, am I being authentic if I'm never, if I, if I choose not to be completely truthful with uh, uh, my father uh, about politics because I don't want to lose that other part of the relationship and I can see it having taken damage already. And, and do I, am I less authentic if I accept something that somebody says and don't question it? Um, possibly. Am I less true to myself? Possibly, but I, th I think none of, there, there have been stories and movies made about always telling the truth to somebody all the time. It usually doesn't end well because human beings don't necessarily. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that creates questions about how authenticity relates to diplomacy or compromise, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when. What are, what are the views on that? Because I think that if you look at people who are in those sorts of situations, people who have to be diplomatic or they have to compromise, um, politicians sort of, 
people yeah. sort of have we this. We are all view. politicians. Right. And so people we're all politicians, but we have this, this negative view of them, yeah. right, as being inauthentic people. So um, I guess the question of can human beings be authentic, it really comes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, which is that there's multiple sources of authenticity that are um, happening at the same time within any given context or individual. Um, so in some ways, we're probably all inauthentic. And as, and as a matter of fact, I'd probably go as far as to say that that's sort of biologically built into us, right? Talking about accepting um, a news source at face value or these sorts of things. We know that our brain is wired in such a way as to try to get information as quickly as possible, right? And so we've created these sorts of shortcuts, and there's plenty of psychological studies you can look at that demonstrate this, where a a lot of our knowledge, and this is a question of knowledge, you know, it's an epistemological question, is. um, is inferred. You know, the things that we can actually know, talking about skepticism, right? In our skepticism discussion, we saw how quickly things devolve into being almost completely relativistic. Um, And the reason for that is because most of our knowledge is inferred. At some point, we have to accept first principles. We have to say, all right, there's there's certain things that we can't provide (laughs) a proof for, so we're just going to accept them. Yes. Um, And that creates... Some issues within th- uh, uh, authenticity, I think, right? <laughs> I Trying think to- it does. Because, well, yeah. It- I guess the question would be with, with compromise, right? So, is it inauthentic to compromise? Well, you could look at it one way as saying, well, you're giving up your, you're giving up your vision and you're accepting part of somebody else's. We could also look at it and say, you're taking new information and you're creating or synthesizing a new viewpoint. And that is a creative process. And that is a creative process. Also, it's authentic if you, if you, if you truly want everyone to be able to work together. The only way to accomplish that is through compromise. That's yeah, and so there's an authenticity to compromise if you really are giving something up, if you really are being honest about your positions and trying to explain why they're important. There's a lot of inauthenticity in diplomacy. There's a lot of inauthenticity when people will will pretend to compromise or to want to when they really don't. Right. And this is this is kind of my problem with where we are at with the philosophical study of it. Authenticity mm-hmm. is looking at, um, you know, the, the titans of of the subject. Yeah. Um, the focus tends to be on individual authenticity. Right. Yeah. But okay. that ignores the nature of human beings, <laughs> which is to be social creatures. Right. So. Yeah, you can have whole discussions on what it means to be authentic to yourself, but humans don't live in a vacuum. No, they live in a society. And so, like what you just mentioned was um, compromising or being diplomatic or trying to build something beyond yourself, trying trying to develop a community or 
you know, a, a society, that seems like something that can be very authentic to human nature, even if you have to sacrifice some of your own values or vision in order to get there. Yes, that's the, tr- the when when the definitions of authenticity call let's say things like the the, the act of being true or um, accurate. And see that then back to the artwork. You can be true to the spirit of the artwork and accurate about it and make a copy, but it's authenticity the other level of authenticity is making something new. You, you said we're social animals. We like to say that we are, but uh, over and over and over again, it's it's, it's been demonstrated uh, psychologically that we don't do all that well uh, beyond a uh, hundred people individually. <laughs> and and we have a, a society of what three hundred and fifty million, which is small compared to India mm-hmm. uh, or China or. You know, and 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 so we we think we have the only way of being social, and well, we don't, and it doesn't work all that well sometimes. And and in fact, we're always really fighting with ourselves. People are the, the pandemic that we've been experiencing. There are people who've been enormously, terribly, horrifically isolated, and it has it bothers them to come back into any contact. Some people find an authenticity in re-examining their relationships with other people. But that requires the active re-examination. I still come back to that. Uh, uh, well, what if I'm an authentic recluse? Well, but but you're choosing. If you're just not even choosing, you're just there. Well, where's the authenticity? Why are you there? Right. <laughs> to me, that's what makes it authentic or not. Yeah, and again, you know, kind of like with the example I was given of, of the artist, right? Yeah. At what point does it become um, derivative or what point does it become foundational? If you're using a style or if you're using colors or if you're using a, the brushes or, you know, it's kind of the same question when you start examining people in the context of other people, right? Um, here in America, we we have this fiercely individualistic culture where, you know, every man's an island unto himself, right? But you, you look at your house. Did you build your house? Did you build your car? Um, do you work for yourself? If you work for yourself, could your business survive with no customers? Um, and what you realize is, even if we don't get along with other people, um, and maybe being social creatures by nature is is a bit generous maybe being tribal creatures is a better is a better um, way of putting it but i don't think there's any denying that humans are meant to um survive with other humans yes and, 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 and if we and if we can't then we're all done anyway so i mean that that's pretty much right and so there's an authenticity that probably springs from trying to intentionally improve those relationships. I think so. Uh, can we take that discussion we had before the broadcast? Okay. Before the cast. If we go to trucks and people will claim that something is an authentic truck or not, Right, mm-hmm. and you said you were having a debate with a, a, right. a person of, uh, claiming it wasn't the right kind of body, or a, a certain gas mileage makes it a truck, or how much it can carry, or whatever. 
who says? Okay, you see that there's a conformity in that definition, a, a, a desire to conformity, or even a, an implied, or perhaps not even recognized conformist notion that that denies the authenticity. Yeah, and it's it's definitional in nature in that particular scenario, right? Is you're looking at something and how do you define it? And different people are going to define it different ways. And based on the way you define it is going to determine if it falls into the category that you're giving it. And authenticity isn't really any different, right? (laughs) So we're talking about being true Mm -hmm. to something. Yes. But the problem with humans <laughs> is we can be true to a number of different things, right? Yeah. And so this sort of nebulous statement that being authentic is being true to yourself, yourself is many different things. Yeah. Yourself yes. isn't merely um, <laughs> the physical you that's attempting to survive or the intellectual you that has your memories and your, or the social you with you and your relationships or the creative you with you and your, your skills. It's the entire culmination of your self. You've just presented the work. What makes the authentic out of that is to try to recognize those different selves, to probe at them, to figure out who and what you are. That's a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and so yeah you know i, I mean just in in the research that i've done and, and some of the reading that i've done that's my frustration with with it philosophically is that mm-hmm. there tends to be a bit of a narrow focus right and i think that there's there's room yeah. to sort of examine some of these different things but i think that there is a good chance that with any depth of probing what you're going to run into is the realization that different forms of authenticity um, can be at odds with each other. And then it raises the entire um, specter of whether authenticity is, is a, a real thing. Well, okay. Yeah. It, it, it raises that. And, and I think it's, this is why it by itself, I'm not sure that it is a real thing. I think it is bound up in, intentionality again we live in a culture where legitimate important authentic uh, rethinking about uh, gender is of critical importance to many 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 wonderful human beings and therefore to all of us it is inauthentic to say that uh, because a definition has been a definition, we, had, we will always adhere to that definition because that does not acknowledge change or process. And that's what you were saying before, and that's what I want to pick up on. That's why it's, it's a squishy fish, this authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's a protean shape changer, this authenticity. Yeah, and even more than that, there's almost this coexistence of diametric oppositions where like in what you just brought up, right? You can see it as being authentic to attempt to change definitions and and create new things. And you can also look at it as being authentic to 
stick with an original definition. We'll say trucks, right? So if trucks have always been built this way, and that's what we define as a truck, then it seems like that is the authentic truck. I see, and there's the exclusionary. So I can't, if I have the Y vehicle, that the X definition is saying that it's only X, and I have the Z vehicle, <laughs> and I'm told it's a truck, well, no, that can't be true. Why? Because here's the definition of truck. I mean, think about the definition of planet. We've talked about this before. Yeah. yeah. Right? Planet, a, a, a wandering body, kind of vague, Spock. And so, <laughs> so we, we finally got around to something that attempts more truthfully, accurately, and therefore more complicatedly to figure out what a planet is. Same thing with truck. I defy anyone to tell me a definition of truck is going to call it. And you see, and so now we're getting to the platonic. We're back to Plato for all his, the problematic natures of, of Plato. He's still a major figure in philosophy. Uh, the ideal. Is there an ideal truck? Is there something that a truck has to be in order to recognize it as truck? <laughs> And that, and that would be the authenticity, right? The essence of of truck, right? Yes. And so, yes. is it just merely having a bed that makes a vehicle a truck? Or does it have to have a body on frame? Or does it have to have four-wheel drive? What, do, what does it have to have to make it a truck? Mm-hmm. And what we discover is that this is all based on language. Just yes, language, right? And language is something that we create to try to get these electrical impulses from our head into other people's heads <laughs> but <laughs> what more is it than that you know when are when do our categories really break down and the meaning that we have behind them um you know at what point do we start to question these things if that's what philosophy is all about right that was a lovely rhetorical question and, and so i follow it up with at the point at which we are caused over and over again to rethink the the i think that the the most deleterious and horrific flaw in our own culture comes right down to what you just said which which is this, the is is to refuse to rethink you said uh, when we were talking earlier that uh, we were talking about how you know, people seem to really love to uh, express their opinions, even if they have almost no information upon which to base them. And that seems to be a human thing. Well, the hard work is rethinking those opinions and rethinking those opinions, and rethinking one's history and rethinking one's history again, rethinking what it means to make a painting, rethinking the nature of song. Rethinking is vital to authenticity. Authenticity doesn't just exist sitting there. It requires the dynamic interactive process. So humans, as ever-changing beings, require authenticity to be ever-changing because there has to be a constant re-examination of what it means to be the human that you currently are. I'm applauding. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well said. <laughs> it took us a long time to get there. And I appreciate anybody who stuck through the first half of this episode, because I think there were six or seven times where I just left silence for four or five seconds trying to think about what we're trying to discuss. Um, but that's the hard work of philosophy. And, you know, it pays off in the end. Do we have the answers now? No. But do we have some kind of framework or some kind of understanding of the problem? Yeah, I think that I think that we do. And I think that the essence of that is is something that seems paradoxical in nature. I think that we're habituated and linguistically conditioned to perceive authenticity as trying to narrow in on the essence of a thing, a concrete essence of a thing. But what we've discovered through our conversation is that things change, language change, human cognition changes, human society changes. And so in the midst of all these changes, authenticity is less a concrete object and more a moving engine, right? You have several pieces that are constantly moving and they are, if they're all moving in synchronization, then that is authenticity. It's an engine. <laughs> My dad would like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, and it tied in some of our other discussions, and I'm sure it's going to lead us into uh, many other discussions in the future. So uh, until next time. Keep